0: This morning we'll return to settling the mind in its natural state. And our approach, as we've done in the past, will be to apply the same quality of awareness without distraction, without grasping, to to the space, the field of the body, and whatever arises within it, and then shift over to the space of the mind and whatever arises within that. (coughs) And the quality of awareness we're cultivating here is, of course, foundational. For vipassana practice, is essential for shamatha practice, but it can also be applied with, to a large extent, as we simply engage with the world around us, including with other people. And that is, so often as we engage with others, um, we very easily enter into an I-it relationship, as we all know, where we're just looking at, upon the other person as agreeable, disagreeable. What what can what can I get you to do for me, and that kind of business. And clearly that 's not the space of awareness that we 're or the quality of awareness that we 're applying when we attend to the space of the mind and its contents, so to be able to be present with others, just totally present single pointedly present, whether it 's with your child, spouse, person in the workplace, the person behind the cash cash register in the grocery market, and so forth, to be totally present, quiet, relaxed, still clear, without grasping, without distraction, so as we engage with one person after another, they really are the center of our attention. We're giving them everything, even, and very much so, even the person behind the cash register. I don't think they very often get everything from anybody passing along the line. Everybody's just in a hurry. I think it's probably one of the most I-IT relationships there is, is all the people just passing you to the IT behind the cash register. Um, that could be rather disagreeable after a while, I would imagine. And so to bring that quality of awareness, but now with this one major caveat or difference, and that is as we're attending to the space of the mind and its contents, there aren't any sentient beings there. They're empty appearances. They are just appearances. So if you see the appearance of someone, just the appearance, there's the whole point here. Is if, if, For example, if Rachel should come to mind as I'm settling the mind in its natural state, well, what's really coming to mind? if I'm doing the practice, it's just the appearance of Rachel. Just the appearance. And that's not a sentient being. Now, if I practice loving kindness towards Rachel, then by way of the appearance, then I'm attending to her as a human being. And that's a very different practice. So she's way over there, and she has has joys and sorrows, hopes and fears and so forth. She has a Buddha nature, and she's over there. So I'm attending to that sentient being over there as I'm practicing loving kindness, whether she's 15 feet away from me or 15,000 miles away from me. Tending to a sentient being, but if I'm settling the mind in this natural state, an appearance of Rachel comes up. Then I'm not attending to Rachel. I'm just noting the appearance that arises from the space of my mind, and dissolves back into the space of my mind. Rachel doesn't doesn't arise from my mind. She arose from her mother, right? So quite distinct there. And so that's the major difference. And that is when, as we're engaging with others. Actual sentient beings, there's something of a mixture going on. And that is, so just stay with Rachel. I might go to Haggai next time, but right now, Rachel. So as I'm attending to Rachel right now, so the appearances of the sweater, the color of her skin, the hair, and so forth, there are appearances, visual appearances arising. And as I'm perceiving them, where are those appearances? Quiz time. Where are those, because I I don't hear her, I'm not touching her and so forth. So all I'm getting right now is visual. That's all the information I'm getting from from Rachel right now. As I attend to Rachel right now, and visual impressions are arising, where are those visual impressions arising from? The shapes and colors that I I perceive as I'm attending to Rachel. Where are they coming from? Where are they emerging from? Pointing to your head, shame, shame, shame. You mean your forehead, the temple? They're probably popping out of your temple. You mean the skin, the neurons, the glial cells, the neurons? I have to tease you a bit on that one. Where are they coming from? Where are those images coming from? That as I attend to Rachel and I perceive the color and form of her, of her, of her body, where are the images that I'm perceiving? Where are they coming from? Massimo. Whose? Whose substrate? Whose? When I'm, when I'm attending to... Yeah, you're right. I just want you to say, that's right. Okay, Massimo, 100% right. And that is exactly right. The appearances that I'm seeing are arising from my substrate. If I close my eyes, those appearances go back into my substrate. Right? Rachel doesn't. She's not influenced at all. She says, why did he close his eyes? That's it, you know? And so, but now it gets interesting. And that is the appearances are simply arising from my su- substrate. They're not coming a little bit from her substrate and a little bit from my substrate. They're only coming from my substrate. Right, I don't share. My substrate, right? At the same time, this is not a free creation. If I a free creation, it's not it's not just fantasy. It's not whimsy. It's not just imagination. If I t- attend over there, if I think no, I think Rachel should be six feet tall. Doesn't work out, you know. As I close my eyes, I can imagine her six feet tall. But as I attend to her, no, nope, six feet's not happening, right? But of course, as we attend to other people, we're not just getting visual impressions. As she speaks, we're not just getting auditory impressions. If I should touch her on the shoulder, I'm not just getting tactile sensations. That's not all I know of Rachel, right? Because I know her as a human being somewhat. We've known each other for some months now, right? And so, as I attend to Rachel, what I'm getting now is I, I came up with a new word Yumi. Hi, Yumi. Y O U dash M E. I'm attending to Yumi. Because I'm attending a Rachel. This is a person over here. She brings her own personal history, her just, oh, her whole existence. She brought it into the room. And that's independent of me, right? But, well, I mean, a little bit of influence, a little bit over years, but primarily, well, you've got a, a massive amount of life without my influence at all. So you brought that with you. And that's not me. That's what you brought to this room. At the same time, and that's you. That's what you brought. I could, I could die right now. You'd still be here, right? But as I'm attending to you, I'm not just getting you. I'm not getting an inherently existent Rachel. I'm getting all of Rachel arising, all the appearances. As I think of you, as I hear your voice, if I touch you on the shoulder, see your visual form, and so forth, they're all arising in my substrate. So I'm seeing you, me. I am seeing you. But I'm seeing you filtered, constructed, interpreted, configured by way of my Background, my language, my personal history, my specific encounters with you, the conversations we've had, have we, where we've met in different places. So I'm always getting you-me. So if I should develop attachment for you, I'd be attachment for you-me. Because I'd be superimposing qualities that I am attached to, and fusing those with you, and you become an object of attachment for me. And it would be you-me. But if I develop a version for you, then I'm also developing a version for you-me. Because I'd be either projecting or picking out, highlighting negative qualities I don't like, and then feeling, oh, I don't, like, I don't like Yumi over there. And I don't like Yumi, and I do like Yumi, and I'm kind of indifferent about this Yumi. And it's all Yumis. So, Yumi, Yumi, Yumi. Yeah. That's what we're perceiving, is this dance, this, this configuration, this coming together. I never, and then, well, we can go on and on, but I want to go meditate. But this is how it's different. Now, final point, and this is very important. One of you mentioned something that just delighted me a couple of days ago, a little while ago. And that is, on the one hand, a number of you have found old memories coming up just spontaneously, especially in settling the mind. Memories of children, children, you know, as, as when you were children, old memories coming up sometimes very vividly and so forth out of settling the mind. It's very typical just to have memories spontaneously cropping up. Well, one person mentioned to me that as this person was going into cultivating empathetic joy and following that particular line of going back to childhood and remember the kindness is shown by other people, that lo and behold, the kind of insights, the spontaneous memories from the shamatha practice, from settling the mind, were, were filtering right over into the empathetic joy. And so as the person was attending to those people through childhood and youth and so forth who had shown kindness, memories were cropping up spontaneously of kindnesses and people known in childhood, adolescence, and so forth. And so there was a cross-pollination of the spontaneous arising of old memories, but with a lot of vividness, cross-pollinating over to the empathetic joy and just giving a much greater richness and warmth and delight as this person thought about the many, many people who had shown this person kindness. So this is, this is really now the beauty of it, that we can start blending these, that we can find the real, like, farmers, as we're cultivating our hearts and minds, that we're really cross-pollinating, letting the shamatha flow into the four measurables. And now, final point, letting the four measurables flow into the shamatha practice. And so it brings the warmth. So when we're settling the mind in its natural state, we're not going to start attending to other people, because then we've just stopped settling in in this natural state, and we've gone to another practice, right? We're attending to the referent of the image or the thought. That's fine, but that's four measurables. But for this one, we're just attending to what's arising here and now. Appearances, appearances, moment by moment by moment. But the quality of awareness, insofar as, and it's really from the start, from the start, first impressions, the first launch. And that is, if you can launch your practice of shamatha, whatever method, but now today, settling the mind, with this real spirit of of gentleness, of loving kindness, that you're engaging this practice, you're continuing on here in Phuket to do something really wonderful to yourself. Right? Really in the spirit of loving kindness. We We can just take that phrase from the Buddha, and that is, if you don't take care of yourself, who will? You know? There may be somebody else to help out, but if you don't take care of yourself, who will? If you don't attend to your own genuine happiness, who will do it? So you're here to take good care of yourself, to set a template for taking good care of everyone else. But first of all, I think we can take that as a model. Take really good care of yourself. Loving, gentle, nurturing, wise, patient, all with yourself. So you become really your best friend. Or as the song Daki said, you are your own protector. And so if you enter into that with that spirit, then there kind of the whole mood, the ambience of your settling the mind is loving-kindness. It's just flowing from the spirit of loving-kindness for yourself. Wanting to protect yourself, free yourself from suffering and the causes of suffering. And then just go right into the practice. As I've mentioned before, we're seeking to observe the space of the mind and the contents of it from the perspective of the substrate consciousness. Luminous, clear, non-conceptual, and slowly, slowly, it will be blissful. Right? But for those of you with Vajrayana practice, because I know a number of you are not here to teach Vajrayana, but for those of you who are already engaging in certain Vajrayana practices, Chenrezig, Vajrayogini, Vajrasattva, whatever it may be, then you'll you'll know in the context of Vajrayana, the centrality of Guru Yoga, and really doing in that context, doing one's Guru as Buddha, and then ever so often, I mean really, it's a, it's a matter of course, when you begin a meditation session, you begin with the refuge of Bodhicitta, The the supplication, the request for blessings, as you visualize your guru indivisible from the Buddha. And then you imagine, you invite the guru, body, speech, and mind, to become non-dual with your own body, speech, and mind. You visualize the guru perhaps coming to the crown of the head, blissfully dissolving into yourself, so your body, speech, and mind become non-dual with that of your guru. But now what's the import of this for shamatha? is as you imagine, and of course, it's a play of imagination, but a very meaningful one. As you imagine your guru's mind becoming one with your mind, and your guru's mind being one with Buddha's mind, or your yidam's mind, like Manjushri, Tara, then, as you're settling the mind in its natural state, observing the space of your mind, if your yidam, for example, is Tara, then you're going beyond viewing the space of your mind from the substrate consciousness perspective. You're seeking to view the space of your mind and its contents from the perspective of Tara, perspective of your guru, perspective of Buddha. In other words, perspective of Rikpa, pristine awareness. And that's the deepest perspective from which you can look on anything. And looking upon reality from the perspective of Rikpa is the Dzogchen view. That is the view of Dzogchen. Within view, meditation, way of life, that's the view of viewing all of reality from the perspective of Rick Perkristina Okay? Yep, 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 yep. Such a talkative guy. Let's, let's jump into practice. that I front-loaded this meditation session so extensively. Very few words are needed as we settle the body in its natural state, respiration in its natural r- r- rhythm. And we settle the mind, calm the mind by way of mindfulness of breathing for a little while. expand the field of your awareness, taking as the object of mindfulness the space of the body and whatever tactile events arise within that space. And with as little conceptual superposition as possible in the felt that could be just the felt, Sustain your mindfulness without distraction, without grasping on this somatic field of experience. Let your eyes be at least partially open, your gaze vacantly resting in the space in front of you, and direct the full force of your mindfulness to the space of the mind, and whatever mental events arise within that space. on those occasions when you become spaced out, nebulous, those are good occasions to deliberately generate a thought, an image, very briefly. Give yourself a target. And then sustain that clear focus of awareness. sustain the flow of mindfulness and monitor that flow with introspection. Every time you see your mind has been carried away happily, note that you have refound it. Release whatever abducted you, whatever carried you away. And let your attention come to rest once again at ease in the present moment, in stillness, not moved by the comings and goings of the mind, and luminously making manifest, taking note of whatever arises in the space of the mind from moment to moment. Let's continue practicing now in silence. We all have old habits of rumination, just getting caught up and carried away by obsessive, compulsive, delusional thinking. So let's create a new habit throughout the course of the day of unwavering unwavering mindfulness. Just a new habit. And with unwavering mindfulness, enjoy your day. See you a bit later.